Oh, good morning, everybody. Ohio Zaymas. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really blessed to be here. Um, my name is Joseph Tatsis. I am originally from California. I've been in Osaka, Japan for 12 years now with my wife and two children. They were made in Japan. Um, we're, we're really blessed to be here. I've, I've known Pastor Glenn, oh, getting close to like 20 years now, I suppose. Uh, we used to, when I was a youth pastor back in California, we'd take the kids every summer to come help uh, do VBSs and things like that over in Okinawa, CC Okinawa. Pastor Rick over there, and Glenn was there, the assistant pastor, and so we've had many, many fun adventures together over the years. He's Him and Farrah have been a I've even lived with them for like three months at one point. And so uh, they're just family, and we're just really, I'm really blessed to be able to come and, and be here and just help my brother when he's not able to be here, you know. So it wasn't too bad just coming up from Osaka. I got here pretty quick. And so anyways, that's just a little bit about myself. We're in Osaka, like I mentioned, we have a, a fellowship there, a CC fellowship called Abide uh, Osaka. And it's mostly Japanese, and we do side-by-side translation. My Japanese is not the best, and so uh, I'm not used to this. Uh, I'm like, well, I can say whatever I want. This is amazing, you know. Usually, I have to pause, wait for the translation, you know. And uh, so, um, first service, I was just, I didn't know how much time we had. I guess Josh went like way over last week, and today they told me I was way under. So. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, well, and you know, when uh, Glenn, when he asked me to share, uh, I okay, who was sharing the week before? What, what are they going to teach on, right? And uh, is Josh, and I heard that he was going to teach. He messaged me and said, "I'm going to teach in James chapter uh, one through eight, and entitled what was his message? It was uh, faith in the midst of trials, right? That was last week's message." And so today, you know, I figured I'd just pick it up where Josh left off. I mean, James is an amazing book. I want, I want to dig in even deeper. So I want to move forward into the book of James by faith. And so with that idea, um, I've entitled this message, Faith Forward. <laughs> so that's where we're going. It's going to keep going forward. And who knows, maybe the, the next guest speaker will come in and be inspired to move forward in James chapter 2 by faith. I don't know. That would be kind of fun. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and please turn to James chapter 1. And now I must warn you, um, I, I, I do, uh, over in Osaka, I, I'm the one-man show. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the techie guy, the sound guy, you know, and sometimes the worship guy. I mean, and so I, I do all that stuff. And I'm the, I'm the, I do my own slides, too. And, so, and I have to prepare my own slides. And so for that, you're going to notice that James, when I show the James verses, you got to look in your book, in your Bible, man, because <laughs> that's like too much work for me. I, I gave you the cross references, but that's as far as I go. Okay, you have your Bible, follow along. Amen. All right, so we'll go ahead. And if you guys, uh, at this point, if you could just please stand in honor of the Lord, respect for His Word. We will read together, and we'll just read the whole um, chapter for context. Okay. James, a bond servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. The twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren count all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no, not, let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself attempt anyone, tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Father, we ask that you would please open our heart, open our mind, help whatever may be in our way fade away. As we look to your word, we ask that you please speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Now, by way of introduction, back in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read, At that time, a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they, that being the Jewish believers in Jesus, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this explains why James addresses this letter to the 12 tribes of Israel, that is, which are scattered abroad here in chapter 
1, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, we read about how the Hebrew Christians had been suffering persecution. And the writer reminded them of how they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. How is that even possible, we may ask, right? Well, by knowing that they have a better and enduring possession for themselves in heaven. Hmm. And this echoes James's opening exhortation to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, verse 2. Again, how is that possible? By knowing, verse 3 and 4, that the testing of your faith will work towards perfecting of our faith, that being our sanctification and the promise of an enduring possession for ourselves in heaven. Again, Hebrews 10, 34. Now, in times of trials, as you know, when we just don't know what to do, and and we're exhorted to, of course, ask the Lord for wisdom by faith without doubting, verses 5 through 8. And certainly in times of trials, we can easily start to feel like we have sunken so low that we have nowhere else to look but up, right? And you know what? That's exactly what James suggests we do here as we begin in verse 9, where he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Okay? Now, the Greek word here, translated lowly, primarily speaks of of being downcast, timid, lacking of hope, which may also indicate a low uh, social standing, not always. But even the lowliest, the, the poorest Christian believer can glory in the fact that they are children of the Lord God Almighty, right? The creator of all things and with riches beyond imagination. As it is written, I have not seen, no ear has heard, no entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? Okay. Now, however, when we as believers are consumed with sorrow and regret and envy and despair because of our limited resources, it really reveals our lack of faith. You see, in James chapter 2, verse 5, he goes on to say, Listen, my beloved brethren, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Hmm. Of course he has. Therefore, verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Verse 10 and 11, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as we read, the flower of the field pass away and so forth. And, and, and at the end there, it says, this rich man also will, fa- will fade away in his pursuits. So the Bible, as you know, has a, quite a lot of things to say about uh, concerning the possessions, our possessions, and the pursuit of riches, okay? Really, being possessed by the pursuit of riches is the problem. However, these verses continue James's description of what it looks like for a believer to trust God in any and every circumstance or situation. Those with great wealth in this life are to glory in their humiliation, it says, right? 
And that is the realization that their earthly riches will fade away and should in no way constitute some any special treatment within the body of Christ, as James will explain in chapter 2 in detail. And as we read in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here in verse 9 through 11 of our text, we see it's not the circumstances of this short, fading life that, that matters most. No. Okay? It's the, posi- it's the position that we hold in Christ and the inheritance of an enduring possession for ourselves in heaven. That's what's important. We see this demonstrated in Matthew chapter 25 with Jesus' parable of the talents. The the earthly wealth we have been entrusted with in our lifetime will have no, absolutely no eternal worth at all apart from how we invest it towards the glory of God, right? That's what that parable says. Now, as the 1800s missionary C.T. Studd rightly said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last and that's true. So you see, there's, there's nothing wrong with having money if we have the right perspective. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10 So we need to be warned. False ideas about what money may do for us can cause us to become focused, the money to be the focus of our life, right? And that's not good. <laughs> we can be tempted to allow money to validate our personal worth, but we are not validated by money. We're validated by the sacrificial, saving grace and love of Jesus Christ. We can be tempted to allow money to be our security, right? But we are not secured by money because. All oh, it's going to eventually fade away anyways. We're tempted to allow money to, to give us the perception that we have gained position or power. But the position and power that money offers is, again, temporary and incomplete. The prize that we have in Christ is perfect, eternal, and complete. Which brings us to James 1.12, where he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation whatever form that takes. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Hmm. We know this word blessed literally means, oh, how happy. And isn't that true? Aren't we blessed when we endure temptations and experience those victories in our lives? Right? When those strong winds of desire start to blow and we hold on to Jesus as tight as we can, crying out to God, saying, Lord, I I love you. I don't want to sin against you. Please help me. Have you ever been there? Wow. When that temptation passes away, how do we feel? (laughs) We feel victorious, right? Wow, hallelujah. You know, we feel blessed. Oh, how happy we are when we endure. But what about the times when we just can't hold on, right? When the 
winds of temptation seem to overtake us and carry us away. Well, what happened? Was it because we could not resist the temptation or would not resist the temptation? Hmm, that's the question. But notice the answer here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So simply ask yourself, do I love God? Yes. Does he want me to sin? No. Is he more powerful than the temptation? Yes, of course. Will he help me resist the temptation if I ask? Well, absolutely, yes. Hmm. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. Saved from what? From our sin. From our sins. Now, now, oh, how happy, how blessed, verse 12, is the man who endures temptation. It's true, but the opposite is also true. Oh, how sad the man who does not endure temptation. Think about it. Are we happy when we sin? I hope not. No. Are we happy when we willfully let go of the Lord and, and cling to the lusts and desires of our flesh? Of course not. We feel miserable, defeated, ashamed of ourselves, don't we? And why? Because we're Christians. <laughs> we're Christians, that's why. A, a, a place, once we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've been born again in the Spirit of God. Therefore, when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God that is within us. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, if we do not feel grieved within our spirit, if we do not feel convicted over our sins, well, I hate to say this, but perhaps we're not even saved. Perhaps we're not even born again. Well, what do you mean, Joseph? Well, what I mean is this. First John 3, 9. This is what John means. He says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remain, remains in him and he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. As children of God, we are not blessed when we sin. No, we are grieved. We are convicted, which is a strong indication that we are indeed born again. We have the Spirit of God within us, you see. Yeah, but come on, Joseph. Hold on a second. Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Exactly. No condemnation, not conviction, okay? That's a big difference. Don't confuse them, all right? Conviction comes from the Lord calling us to confession and repentance. Condemnation comes from Satan calling us to walk away from God and to self-destruction. In context, Paul had just been confessing the wretchedness of his flesh that caused him to do what he knew he not, didn't want to do. Oh, when I do what I don't want to do, right? And he cried out to God from the conviction of his heart, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7, 24. And then he immediately answered his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7, 25. 
Hmm. So absolutely, absolutely, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, like Paul, are indeed convicted of sin and grieved within by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I remember this one gal came to me, just all, all broken, just Joseph, I, I messed up. I messed up. She's crying. Oh, man, what happened? I, I did something bad. And I just said, well, okay, do you, how do you feel? Do you feel ashamed of yourself? Yeah. Do you feel grieved inside? Yeah, I feel horrible. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> wow, that's great. Huh? <laughs> Stop. What are you talking about? And I'm like, the day you don't feel anything, that's when you're in really trouble. That's when you're in real trouble. Hmm. Now, James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James tells us that our steadfastness will be rewarded with the crown of life as we demonstrate our love for Jesus by resisting temptation. Where do these temptations come from anyway? Well, they, I'll tell you this. First of all, they do not come from God. Notice what James 1.13 says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. The sin isn't in the temptation itself, okay? All of us experience temptation. Even Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil, okay? So the sin isn't in the temptation. The sin is when we give in to that temptation. And when we do, we need to realize something, that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, all right? That's all there is to it which James clearly points out here in verse 14. He says, but each, of, each one is tempted when he's drawn away, how? By his own desires and enticed. That's what we read. James 15 goes on. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. It is our very own desires that are enticed, that give birth to sin, and will eventually bring it forth death if we continue in them. Sin will always lead to the death of something. Let me tell you, if not eternal life, then perhaps the death of purity, a clean conscience, relationships, careers, lives, and we go on and on, all right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. Verse 16, James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. See, in, in the midst of our trials, we can start to desire things we have lost, things we have always desired to gain. We can be tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. If God were good, well, then why wouldn't he give me the desires of my heart? People struggle with that. I understand. Singleness, having babies, things like that. These are real issues 
and they're hard ones. Okay, and people can get bitter and angry and they start blaming God. I understand that. I've been through that. Who are we to blame God? So this attitude, of course, leads to even more temptation. And, and we begin to try to what, help God out, right? And, and, and attempts to fulfill those desires, to obtain those seemingly good things that we feel we deserve. Well, never, never works out good. <laughs> In verse 17, James explains, listen, every good gift and every perfect gift that you need and I need, that we really want, comes from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, if it isn't from God, then it isn't as good as you might think it is, okay? God is the unchanging source of any good we have ever had, have now, or will ever have in the future. Even if we do not see the goodness in the various situations of our circumstances of life immediately, we can trust that they will eventually work together for good for those who love God. They're called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Now, a moment ago, we read that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans six twenty-three. right? Question, what could, be, what could possibly be uh, as good and as perfect as the gift of eternal life? I mean, is there anything <laughs> on this earth? No way. Well, the answer is this, though. The very word which eternal life may be obtained. Amen? Notice verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. In other words, we were birthed, born again. How? By the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures Ephesians 1.13, Paul similarly said, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this entire process of salvation is given to us in this one verse. Okay, faith comes by hearing the word, and upon believing the word, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Being sealed speaks of a finished transaction. It speaks of ownership, of security, of protection, and authenticity. Okay? Authenticity. In other words, we belong to him. And as we read in James 1.18, it was of his own will that he brought us forth. If indeed we have been brought forth, out of darkness and into his marvelous light, as we read in 1 Peter 2, 9, then our life should naturally reflect that light, right? Well, James 1, 19, verse 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone, every man, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's an example, see now, if you're a hot-tempered person, these verses are definitely for you. Okay? Uh, and, you know, I've heard explained once before. I'm sure you have, too. God gave us, what, two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. 
And if we did, well, no doubt we would be much slower, a lot slower to wrath. And this reminds me of a mutual friend uh, Pastor Glenn and I have back in California. He's a great guy. He loves Jesus. But when I first met him, he really struggled with this idea uh, and this, this really struggle with the idea of wrath. I mean, he was hot-tempered, okay? And, and so much so that when he was a kid, one of his teachers actually taught him to bite his upper lip. Every time he got mad, every, to just bite your lip. Right before you say something, you're going to regret. And, and you know what? <laughs> After he had kind of shared this story with me, it was kind of funny because I always knew exactly when he was upset and he was holding back his words because he'd literally be sitting there and just, <laughs> and I just laugh and nobody, nobody had a clue, you know. I'm like, oh, he's upset. <laughs> and you know, to be honest with you, I really respected that about him because, I mean, that's. That is a, a technique that I had often wished I would have applied in my own life. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hmm. James one twenty one. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, earlier in verse 18, we read that God brought us forth by the word of truth, right? And it says here in verse 21 that we need to receive the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. In other words, there, there is no other way, okay? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. The world seems to think this is, of course, very narrow. It's a very narrow idea. And you know what? They're correct. You're absolutely right. Matthew 7, 13, 14, you know this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of any attempt by man to broaden that path, all right? I was teaching a few weeks ago, and we were talking about Noah and, you know, there is eight guys, eight people, right? Noah, his wife, four children, uh, three children, and three wives. Okay, eight total. The entire rest of the world was wrong, dead wrong. The Bible says that, what, the, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So don't be tempted by numbers, okay? <laughs> Majority is not always right. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Now, again, beware of any attempt to broaden that path. When we allow the Word of God to be planted in our heart, it will bring new life, new birth, new perspective. That's for sure. James 1, 22, 24. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Sadly, uh, so many non-Christians think that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Did you ever think that? <laughs> well, this is because so many so-called Christians 
say they believe in the Bible and yet willfully live in contradiction to what it says. Right, it is. And it has been said, as it has been said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, I believe there is some truth to this quote. There's no hiding the fact that Christians over the last 2,000 years haven't been perfect, okay? In fact, none of them have been perfect. I can't think of a single professing follower of Christ that has ever been perfect. I certainly am not perfect. That's my wife, (laughs) okay? So, and for this reason, and for that same reason, understand, some unbelievers will try to use our imperfections as their excuse to reject Christ, right? Because of this guy, because of this hypocrite. I don't want, I was like that. I didn't want to be like all those hypocrites, all my friends growing up in high school saying, you know, I go to church. That's the last thing I wanted to be was like those guys. <laughs> and that will, people will use us, our imperfections as an excuse, excuse to reject Christ. But listen, understand, our imperfections will never excuse anyone's sins away. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ can do that, right? But even with that said, even with that said, may God help us never be anyone's excuse. God forbid. And this is why we need to remember and never forget who we are, what we look like in Christ, okay? And we need to act accordingly. People are watching us. We represent the Lord. Notice as James continues here in verse 25, he says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Not what he says, but he does. Okay, the unifying theme of the book of James is the confirming effects of real, saving, trusting faith. Okay, faith plus belief, uh, faith equals belief plus action. Simple equation for you. A person's actions are a good indication of what kind of faith they really have. Just consider some of the exhortations we've seen so far. To count it all joy when you fall into various trials, verse 2. That takes real faith, okay? To, to, to pray for wisdom with, without doubting, verse 6, takes real faith. For the lowly brother to glory in his exaltation, verse 9, takes real faith. To endure temptation, verse 12, takes real faith. Saving faith is not mere intellectual knowledge, okay? A faith that saves is the kind of faith that naturally produces practical, confirming actions. And this is the main emphasis of this entire epistle. And, I mean, and that is why, really, that James will go on to say, faith without works is dead in chapter 2, verse 17, 20, and 26. He drives it home, okay? Now, 
known, okay? James, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, okay? James is not contradicting Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where he says, we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, okay? And I say that because in the very next verse, Paul goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. The word here for workmanship, perhaps you know it, it's poema in the Greek where we get the English word what from? Poem. Okay, good. Poem. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but if you've heard this expression, I'm sure you have, poetry in motion, right? Then we have the Winter Olympics. You see those ice skaters? And then they fall. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, but before that, man, it was beautiful. You know, wow, amazing. I was really, that was great. My wife loved, I never watched ice skating, but my wife made me, and I was like, wow, they're actually pretty amazing. Poetry in motion, for sure. And, and it refers to someone or something that moves in a way that's very graceful or beautiful, right? Well, listen, understand, God has a beautiful poem written out for our lives. We just need to live it out by faith, knowing that we're not alone. Okay? The Holy Spirit is within us, waiting and willing to empower us to do what we can't do in and of ourselves. And when we do, it's like poetry in motion in the sight of the Lord. And it pleases him. So, you see, grace is the root of our salvation. And good works are the fruit of our salvation. There's no contradiction, okay? The grace of God and the responsibility of man, they go hand in hand. God's, the, 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 God's grace and our responsibility are biblical truths that we need to hold on to. We really do. And, and, and it, when we let go of our responsibility, let me tell you, we can become very liberalistic, okay? Very liberal. You know, hey, once saved, always saved, okay. But when we let go of God's grace, we become just the opposite. We become extremely legalistic, right? If we want to be balanced, then we need to hold on to both, okay? Now, I mean, just look at our verse, you know. We're, we're saved by grace, that's all grace. But we're prepared for works. That's our responsibility. And you can, I give you so many examples. Let me give you a couple. Remember the woman caught in adultery, right? Who, who condemns you? Oh, no one, sir. Well, neither do I condemn you. Grace. What do you say next? Go and sin no more. Responsibility. What about First John 1, 9? We love that one, right? Uh, if we confess our sins, responsibility. He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us, wash us, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Grace! And you look through the scripture, you can see it all over the place. Okay? But people tend to <laughs> hold on to one or the other. <laughs> mm. If we let go of our responsibility, we become extremely legalistic. If we let go of God's grace, we become extremely. Uh, we become, um, responsibility, we become li- uh, very liberal, and the opposite. We become legalistic, right? And if we want to be balanced, we need to hold on to both, don't we? We need to hold on to both. Now, let me attempt to kind of help make sense to you by way of an illustration. I don't know if you heard this before, but I really appreciate it when I was kind of struggling as a new Christian especially. And I'm like, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be like these guys, you know, and all the rest, you know. And 
people say, I can do whatever I want. I'm, you know, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and you're doing that? Are you kidding me? That's not what the Bible I read and I'm trying to strike the balance between this and I just couldn't see it. It seems like they're so polarized, you know, and and, and yes, the God's word is true and, and I want to hold on to it, but they seem like there's kind of two truths here, you know, but yet they're always together, working together. And so imagine that the word of God because, I mean, first of all, is God's word true, or yes or no? Hey, God's word is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And let me tell you, in the midst of these uh, these last few years, all these evolving truths that are going on, you know, as what's true today is not true tomorrow, man, you know, and so forth and so on. God's word is the only thing that we can hold on to that's not going to change. It's going to be the same forever, Okay. It's not going to change tomorrow. And so we hold on to the truth, but the whole truth, not just the ones we want to hold on to. So first of all, imagine God's word, okay, is like a super long rope that kind of hangs from a pulley in heaven somewhere, and both ends are coming down and, and, and from heaven. So imagine that scene. There's two ropes, and we're looking at them going, oh, there's a rope there, there's a rope there. And we're on this cliff, and all of a sudden the cliff starts breaking up. <laughs> and destruction is imminent. We're like, ah, oh, what do I do? What would you do? There's those two ropes hanging down. Yeah. Would you grab one? Would you grab the other? Or You see there's a pulley up there, and it's going to the same rope, right? What would you do? Yeah, you grab both, because what happens if you grab one? What's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to fall. Well, you grab the other, same difference, right? You're going to fall. You see, that's the idea here. We need to hold on to both. Because if we say, oh, I like this rope. I'm going to hold on to this. Become very legalistic. Sends a bad message to the rest of the world. And the same difference. Oh, I like this one. Oh, grace, you know. I love grace. I can do whatever I want. It's not the good message, okay? We need to understand. We need to hold on to both. Don't just pick and choose what scriptures you want to hold on to and let go of the rest. A well-balanced Christian holds on to the totality of scripture, the full counsel of God, okay? I hope that helps you. James one twenty six. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, hmm, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Just as our deeds reveal our faith, our words reveal our hearts. As Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew twelve thirty four. So if our heart is right, then our speech will be right. And if our heart is wrong, well, then, Lord, help us bite our upper lip. Amen? Hey. James one twenty seven, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, the Greek word here translated religion speaks of an outward expression of faith or a demonstration of something that is inwardly true. Martin Luther once said, the world does not need a definition of religion 
as much as it needs a demonstration. And that's pretty much the idea and the context of the whole book of James. A call to put our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ into action. Faith forward. Pure and undefiled religion is all Demonstra- is a demonstration of our faith with others through, through our speech, through our service, through our separation uh, from the ungodly ways of the rest of this world. Right? Be unspotted, he says. Now, orphans and widows, the, the fatherless and the husbandless, easily represented two of the most needy classes of people in James's culture at that time. So I, I don't believe he's being prescriptive here in verse 27 as if we are to visit orphans and widows in their trouble exclusively i believe he's being descriptive okay for example do you think if we were to ask james hey james you know well, what about the the hungry the thirsty the stranger the naked the sick the imprisoned as seen in jesus's description of the judgment of the nations in matthew 25 35-36. Or how about the multitudes of stressed, distressed, hopelessly depressed people in our world today that we probably know personally? Do you think James would say, uh, no, sorry, just orphans and widows only? <laughs> well, I don't think so, okay? I don't think so. I believe James would say, yes, absolutely, go and visit them in their trouble. Amen. Now, if pure and undefiled religion is about having compassion and helping others who are in need, then a defiled religion, just the opposite, would be about having no compassion for others. It's selfish. It's greedy, which, of course, is the mindset of the world and not of God. As James says here in verse 27, we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And that means unspotted from these types of selfish thoughts. The trinity of man. Me, myself, and I. Lord, help us. As Paul said, Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, prove, you understand what that means? I'm not going to prove anything to anybody. I'm not going to prove anything to anybody. Hey, prove it to yourself. Are we, do we really believe that what we say we believe is really real? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May the Lord help us all continue to move forward in faith. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we understand. We recognize how weak we really are. I mean... When you said, apart from me, we can do nothing. 
It makes us think we could do anything apart from you. We need you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us. That we would hold on to you, your word. You are the embodiment of God's word, Jesus. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us abide in you, to hold on to you in and through the trials and tribulations and difficult times that we're going through. So please, Lord, we cry out to you that we would reflect that light. You brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Let it shine, as you said. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify the Father in heaven. Help us glorify you. We want you to glorify in and through our lives. But we can't do it without you. So please, is there anybody here that's been just lackadaisical, just kind of going through the motions? Mm, I pray you'd stir them up. I pray you'd light that fire again. And show them, Lord, these last few years we've had to be creative and flexible and all the rest just to not forsake the gathering of ourselves one to another, whether through cyberspace or social space here. We want to be where you're at. And we know you're with us today. And we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor that you deserve. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray. As we cry out to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.